Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to the What's Next podcast, where I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming Gretchen Carlson to the show today. She was named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World in 2017. She was the 1989 Miss America. She graduated from Stanford University with honors before embarking on a career in television. She gained experience as an anchor and reporter for, for several local network affiliates. She joined CBS News in 2000 and became the co-host of the Saturday edition of The Early Show. 2005, she moved over to Fox News Channel and began the co-host of the morning show Fox and Friends. Then in 2013, launched a new program called The Real Story with Gretchen Carlson. Her autobiography, Getting Real, was published in 2015. Her second book, Be Fierce, Stop Harassment and Take Your Power Back, was published in 2017 and became a New York Times bestseller. And most recently, had Nicole Kidman play her in the movie Bombshell, which is, you know, what a great casting, I think. Welcome <laughs> to the show, Gretchen. Hey, thanks for having me. And I would just add to the introduction, thank you, Tiffany, that, of course, in 2016, maybe the most important thing I ever did in my life was that I sued my boss at Fox News for sexual harassment. And that's not something that you actually aspire to in your life when you're reading somebody's resume. It's not like when I was growing up, I thought, wow, I'm going to become one of the poster women for harassment in the workplace. But, you know, it really has um, sort of framed my life of being a gutsy girl and moving on to being a courageous woman on behalf of all women. And um, so just happy to be on this mission. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I didn't, I didn't omit that intentionally. It was, you know, how do you not talk about that when we talk about you, but I was going to hold that, but thank you for, uh, for adding that. Uh, and I would be surprised for, for any of our listeners that they weren't aware, but, but thank you. I mean, I, I, I do think it's a big part and one of the things, um, that you're known for, but not the only thing you're known for. So, uh, before we jump into it, I'm going to start with, uh, what I always do. It's called bullish and bearish. It just kind of gets the juices flowing and, and we can have a little fun before we get into all the serious conversation of today's, uh, today's show. (laughs) Uh, so are you ready? Bullish is you're for it. Bearish is you're against it. Yep. All right. The first one, citizen journalism, bullish or bearish? Uh, neutral. Sorry. That's right. That's okay. That's okay. Well, you know, sometimes people will go neutral or they'll tell me why they've picked one or the other. So (laughs) even though I say bullish or bearish. I know I'm supposed to keep it just to that. Okay. Is there certain situations you're bullish and other you're bearish? Um, yeah, but I don't want to go down that slippery slope. Okay. All righty. Okay. We'll go on to the next one. The next one, a little, a little more fun. All right. The first one or the second one is uh, working from home, <laughs> bullish or bearish? Oh my gosh. Well, now that we're doing that 24 uh, seven, um, bearish. Okay. All right. And the third one, which should also be fun, robot violinists. <laughs> uh, bearish for sure. You got to have the real right. thing. That's right. Well, so, you know, for the listeners, uh, you were a prodigy violinist as a, as a kid, which I was, you know, fascinated to, to find out. And I think that's what you did uh, on Miss America. Is that right? Yeah. Well, that was the whole reason. I mean, my life has worked in mysterious ways, which should be my next book title. But um, uh, yeah, I was a, a really serious violinist as a kid, and that was actually going to be my career. And then I burned out and I quit. And this is the really short version of the story. And my parents were devastated and they wanted to find a way for me to keep playing. And my mom got a brochure in the mail saying, half your points 
were based on talent in the Miss America system, which was never on my radar screen ever in my entire life. I grew up as a tomboy in the state of Minnesota, which was not known as a pageant state. And, um, but you know, she was influential in my life and she convinced me to give it a try. So yeah, violin, I'm the only classical violinist ever to um, actually win Miss America, which is still, I guess I should be in the Guinness Book of World Records for that. Well, so now the real question is, since we're, we're all working from home, depending on, you know, when everybody listens to this, you'll know what time frame we're talking about. Uh, it, have you picked up a violin since you've been home? Nope. I know. It's, it's, listen, my, um, my story with the violin is very emotional. It's um, when you've given so much of your life to something and then you don't do it anymore, it's not like riding a bike. Like I, I cannot go back to playing like I did when I was 14 years old. And so I can still see all the notes in my head. And, and I oftentimes play it in the middle of the night when I'm not sleeping in my head, but my fingers can't do the work anymore. And so for me to go back to it, it's, it's, it can be painful actually um, to know that I'm never going to be how I was before. It's kind of hard to explain it, but because I know that it would also give me great joy to do it. And I keep telling my 85-year-old father that I'm going to do it because he would really, really love it if I did. But um, no, I look at it every day in my closet. And it's sort of this reminder of how the violin shaped me for the kind of person that I became, which is incredibly disciplined and um, understanding of, of how to take on a task and a challenge in life and go for it because I was so competitive with my music and I got to such a level that, um, you know, it, it made me realize how to achieve no matter what goal was put in front of me. So I credit it for really shaping me into who I am, but I don't, I don't play anymore. Well, so I feel that about sports. Yeah. I went to college on a scholarship and, and I don't play it anymore. That particular sport was volleyball because I'm not never going to be as good as I was. Right. So I, I actually totally understand the one wow. thing that's different from a violin. I think, I don't know, you know, my little, my little nugget for you to take and, you know, let it simmer in you is that, you know, music is such a form of storytelling and it's so emotional, you know, for the people who receive the gift you give. Yeah. And so, you know, the one thing I'd say is maybe if it's not for you from a competitive standpoint, but it's more for like in that, in your example, right, your father, like it's yeah. that gift of, of giving at this moment. And that's uh, music is such, you know, as you see across Italy and Spain and people singing and playing music across New York and various instruments and neighborhoods and Dallas and all kinds of things happening that music is the thing that brings us together. Uh, I know. And, and there's a hashtag songs of comfort that they're Yo-Yo Ma started. I know. Uh, I actually met. So, so guess what? This this is interesting because it's one degree of separation for you and me. I met Yo-Yo Ma for the first time at Dreamforce this year, and my my goal in life was, you know, to to meet him. And I've met a lot of great artists and played for a lot of violinists um, of his caliber, but never met him. And so we actually <laughs> we actually sang Happy Birthday to somebody playing the kazoo's together. So here you had two, he being this world-class cellist and myself being a former pretty good violinist, were um, exhibiting our musical skills through kazoos. <laughs> so it was, um, it was actually an amazing experience. And I saw him post that on social media and I, I reshared it because you're right. Music has a way of uh, bringing people together and soothing 
you know, pain and, and difficult times. I, you know, I will say that I, um, I, I do live vicariously through my children and, and their music. They both play the piano and um, I don't make them practice at all as much as I had to practice. But um, I do feel like it's still a part of my life because they're learning the same discipline and appreciation for it that I had as a kid as well. Well, I can't wait to get the video from you that you decided to pick it back up your violin. I can't okay. wait. We'll leave it right. at that. All, All right. right. Okay. So, you know, that 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 was an unexpected conversation, but thank you for sharing sharing that story with us. But, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, as we began in your uh, bio and, and, and you shared the story uh, about your experience at Fox and what you did and really being one of the catalysts. Uh, from a from a Me Too perspective, you know, I think there's a lot more before that happened from your journalistic days. You know, what what sort of what do you, you know, there are many people that are listening that aspire to make a difference and, uh, you know, have have um, you know love for what they do. And what led you down that road to become become a journalist in the first place? And and you know the joy that it brought you. I know. So it's another story of a fluke. So I started the violin as a fluke. My hands were too small for the piano. Um, it was just that simple. And, and same thing with journalism. I actually was going to be a lawyer and took the LSATs and everything. And then my year as Miss America really threw me into a whole different way of, of um, you know, being in front of the public on a daily basis and giving speeches every single day and doing television and radio interviews every single day. And I don't know if you remember this show on TV. It was one of the really great ones with Dick Clark and Ed McMahon. It was called Bloopers and Practical Jokes. But I do. Well, we are so, the same age. I know. So so it was, you know, this great, well, it was great until I was a part of it. Let me put it that way. It was a funny show uh, where they pulled pranks on people. And so they did a prank on me uh, during my year. It was actually one week into being Miss America. And I thought I was giving a speech in front of 5,000 engineers about a satellite system I knew nothing about. And so, of course, everyone left the set because it was part of a joke. And before you know it, I'm standing there by myself. And the floor director says to me, oh, my gosh, we're going live early in five, four, three, two. Oh, just start talking. Just make stuff up. And I was like, oh, my God. I, I'm, I froze. Like, I'm speaking in front of all these engineers. I know nothing about this system. And I had to talk for 14 minutes, the longest 14 minutes of my life. And then at the end, you know, I found they came on the loudspeaker and said, you have just been on bloopers and practical jokes. So I was mortified. I thought I was going to be fired from the job, never get a job in anything ever again. And when it aired, it actually had the reverse um, reaction for people. And I got calls from television agents and they said, have you ever thought about doing TV? And I said, well, not really. And they said, if you can do that, you can do this. So isn't that a wild story about how I was supposed to be a lawyer, still threaten my husband on a daily basis that I'm going to go to law school at some point because I'd love to get the education. But that's how I really got into television. It was that, you know, just a fluke. But I think that says, I mean, there's so many stories. I mean, I've got a bunch. I mean, you know, if you just, you know, think back of these moments in time where this opportunity or situation presented itself and, uh, it might make you feel really uncomfortable, but you have to kind of get comfortable with being uncomfortable if you want to yes. progress sort of as a human and in your career and as a, just a person. Uh, and so it, it's more of a, now do you have the guts to say yes? So when they said you want to be in television, I'm obviously you said yes. 
<laughs> I said, well, you know what, here, here, no, true, true. And I mean, these, these little stories I'm sharing are all part of the process of me building courage in life to ultimately do what I did three and a half years ago. You know, it's, courage is not something that you just um, develop by like switching a light switch on when you come into a room. I mean, courage is a, a life building skill of those kinds of experiences that make you so incredibly uncomfortable, but you learn that you survive. And so the next time you might take it just a step more um, and step outside the lines, especially for women who are, we're all socialized to color inside the lines. And, and so to, to really take those small little risks and survive them, you know, turns you into this more courageous person um, in, in the long run. And so for me in, in TV, I knew I actually started my first TV job knowing that my LSATs were good for five years. And I thought, well, if this TV thing doesn't work out, I can still go to law school for, you know, up until five years when the scores run out. And, you know, it was really sink or swim for me in the first job because I had no idea what the hell I was doing. None. I hadn't studied this in college. I was I designed my major at Stanford and with industrial engineering and um, organizational behavior. And I probably would have been a corporate consultant had I not gone to, to law school. So I, I was really in a sink or swim situation. But a female boss came in about six months into my run in Richmond, Virginia, which is where my first job in TV was. And she said to me, you are the new political reporter. You're going to be covering the governor every day. And I said, I am. And she said, yep. And back then in Richmond, Virginia, I was, I think there were two women covering the governor. And that was a huge, huge learning experience. I was 22, 23 years old. Um, it happened to be Governor Doug Wilder, who was the first African-American governor of Virginia. And he also had a short run at running for president when I started covering him. So it was just this amazing experience for a young woman. And, you know, I credit that, that female boss for coming in and having faith in me and saying, you can do this. Well, you know, I call it the confidence muscle that it's like going to the gym, right? The day you walk into the gym, your muscles get really sore and every day it gets a little less sore. You get a little stronger, you get a little more sore, you get a little stronger. And it, that confidence muscle just has to be built over time. You can't just, you know, like in, in your case, you don't just go from one day, oh yeah, I did some video for bloopers and blunders. And the next year, you know, one of the co-anchors on the Fox News channel. No. <laughs> like those two things don't happen like right. one day and the next day, like lots of you know, pain and stretching and uncomfortableness and insecurity and all those things happen between yeah. one and the other. Um, and mistakes, you know, mistakes are, I mean, mistakes, mistakes are really important. You know, I tell young women this all the time and in, in my industry, it really applies to any industry. You know, you, you want to make mistakes and you want to make them early on, um, preferably so that you can learn from them. And, and, you know, all the toiling that I did in my television career to eventually get to the top of the industry, I'm very grateful for that because I made those mistakes early on um, where I could afford to make them and, and learn from them. And, you know, I had a long path. I went from Richmond to Cincinnati, to Cleveland, to Dallas, to finally to CBS News in New York, and then, then to Fox. But I'm, I'm grateful for a variety of reasons that I did it the old school way. And, you know, the first one is what I've explained, but also because I really came to understand how important it was uh, to respect and understand all the people around me who, who made the product come to life. And I think when people move along too swiftly in their careers, especially in TV where we have reality TV now, and that's why I was hesitant with your citizen journalism question, because 
there's just been a lot of stuff that I think has has made the landscape of journalism um, questionable and actually played into the whole fake news thing that we're in right now. Um, which So that's why it's a longer conversation than saying bearish or bullish. But um, I, I also think for people who have been able to, to rise to the top in television now from reality TV and really don't have any experience, that that's just a horrible situation to put a person in because they're going to make big mistakes and they're going to do them on the national scene and they're going to pay the price. And we've, we've seen that happen. So I'm, I'm very grateful for the fact that I had this just longstanding career um, and tons of experience where when I finally got to the national stage, I appreciated everybody who helped me get there. Well, and, and I think that that just says a lot of things, right? That it's, it's this journey. I always say when people say, oh, you know, Tiffany, I want to do something like you have. And I'm sure people, obviously you talk to a lot of people and girls and young girls and really use your platform for um, helping sort of pay it forward. And they'll say, I want to be you, right? What do I do? And it's like, God, that's just not one thing, right? (laughs) There's, there's so many answers there, but at the end of the day, it it is, it, it takes a village. Um, you know, those influencers, those, um, champions for you, mentors, you know, the hair and makeup people, the cameramen, the editors, the, you know, everybody makes, Mm -hmm. um, people, uh, that do what, what, what we get to do for a living, you know, make us look better than, than, than we sometimes would look if we were left to our own devices, you know, just a, just a cell phone on the corner, picking it up and saying, Hey, you know, I'm on the corner and here's what I have to say today. Kind of a thing. Um, but but, you know, I would, this gives me a great sort of segue into, you know, one of the most defining probably moments uh, uh, in your career and, and also in your life. Um, and I would say, if you ever chose to go back to be an attorney, <laughs> I would hate to be the attorney on the other side because I'm, because I'm guessing what you would be the attorney for. And I think they'd all lose. So, you know, uh, well, with, thank you. <laughs> with that said, um, <laughs> You know, you along the way, right, we're trying to find the courage, you know, you were having experiences in your in your work environment that were not, you know, sitting well with you and obviously not appropriate. And and you sat on that for a minute and until you, you know, had the courage to sort of step forward. And maybe you can, you know, give that, you know, the sort of shorter version of those key, you know, moments that led you to make that decision to leave and and to pursue what you did. Yeah. Well, well, thank you. Um, as I said, courage is a building process. So, um, the, the problem is I can't tell you everything that led up to it because I signed a non-disclosure agreement, which is what I'm fighting in life now so that women are no longer silenced for the future. That's the first thing. Hence why you becoming an attorney would be yes, <laughs> an amazing um, thing and, to watch. <laughs> and I, 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 I created liftourvoices.org, which is my new nonprofit, to, uh, to really work every single day I'm trying to, to stop silencing women um, and also getting rid of clauses in our employment contracts that also silence us called arbitration. So those are the things I've really been been pushing for. Um, one thing that you will know about me if you know me well is that I'm always prepared. And so, I mean, I guess I'll just, I can go, go out on a limb and say that I was very prepared in what I was about to do at Fox. Um, and I realized that a career that I had killed myself for, that it was going to be taken away from me and that it wasn't going to be my choice. And I finally decided if I don't jump off this cliff, 
and tell the world what's happening, who will? And that was what finally sent me over the edge. Um, as well as I do always mention that I'm blessed to still have my parents in my life. And they gave me their blessing. And I think one of life's greatest lessons, at least for me, I've been so blessed to have great parents, is that no matter how old we are, we want our parents' approval. And yeah, I could have jumped without them. But the idea that they were behind me, finally, because growing up in Minnesota with Minnesota nice, you don't really sue people. <laughs> um, and so it took them a while to get there. But they supported me. My husband supported me. My children, who I told the night before, they were my paramount concern. And well, they probably had no idea what they were getting into, they, you know, they supported me. And the most amazing thing that's happened since is that who knew, who knew that this was going to instigate a tidal wave in our society and move into the Me Too movement and, and give women finally a platform to say enough is enough. Um, but I've seen my courage transferred to my children. And, and that will be my greatest achievement in my life. That will be um, what I was most fearful of, but what has turned out to be the most positive thing is watching my son and my daughter as teenagers now understand what it means to be courageous. And I've seen them do it themselves. And, and that is what keeps me going on a daily basis. Well, it, you know, and I, I would say that, you know, when, when I was reading your bio and I left that part out, uh, I was debating when I was sort of, you know, going through what I could say in the intro. Do I say it? Do I don't say it? And, and you know, I said this very quickly in passing, but I think you're so much more than that moment in time. Yes, it was hugely impactful to so many things, mm -hmm. um, you know, to people that you will never meet or will never have the opportunity to, to personally, you know, be in the same room with you and thank you. I, you know, I've seen you speak at multiple events. We've been at similar events together. Hopefully we're going to see each other later this year in Europe, but I doubt that that's going to happen. But, you know, ultimately, like, I think there's so much more and, and, um, you know, understanding what it takes to actually step out on a limb like that. Right. Um, I've had multiple people on my show. Uh, uh, one that, that, uh, was just recently Molly Bloom was Molly's game. Oh Yeah. And it was all, you know, hers was, I, you know, I want to protect my name. It's the only thing I have and I own you can't take away from me. So I'm going to, you know, do um, these things so that I can get my name back. If, if you're going to take my money, you're not taking my name. Yeah. And for you, I feel like it was sort of your voice. Like you can't take my voice away. Like that's yeah. what I do and who I am. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but it was scary. <laughs> it was scary, you know. Yeah. And so how do you how do you navigate that? Right. Because it's I would I would think it would be really difficult just to kind of go, you know, when you wake up one day and go, who am I? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, it's funny because um, people who um, who've known me my whole life, they were all texting me afterwards. They were scared to death for me, but they were um, all texting me afterwards saying, saying, you know, you finally found your calling in life that we've all been waiting for. It was really interesting. I think that I've been underestimated my whole life for a variety of reasons, um, mainly because I'm, you know, I'm blonde. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm short. I come from Minnesota, which I guess is, I don't know what people think about people who come from Minnesota, but we're great people. But, you know, um, I didn't grow up in New York City, for example. Um, and, and so, and just underestimated because I'm a woman. 
And yeah, but you know, just be, you know, Miss America and Stanford graduating Stanford with honors, it's like you know. Yeah, but that yeah. that stuff sometimes people just look right through that. You'd be surprised. Yep. Yeah, yep. It, it's it's like some of that just evaporated from my resume, and and so I think that people who who know me well were not surprised, but um, but you know they did say I think you found your calling in life. It's interesting, like I said at the at the top of this interview, that my life has worked in mysterious ways, and it's all intertwined for everyone's lives about how we are and who we become, but. I, I really, I do, well, I believe in higher being. So I, I believe that there is some sort of a roadmap for me out there. And I'm sure that they've been busy with the whiteout on my life, but um, <laughs> uh, it's, 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 it's all a learning experience. And I think the constant in my life has been that when there's a challenge in front of me, I go for it. And that's been true with every single thing I've done in my life. And people said to me after this, my whole lawsuit and the settlement and all that, they said, you know, you should just go home and spend more time with your kids and play with your dog in your backyard. And I was like, yeah, oh. but that really wouldn't be me. You know, me would be, Hey, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to figure out how to fix this. Now I had no idea it was such a tangled web. I didn't even know it was a pervasive epidemic till I filed my lawsuit. And I started hearing from, thousands and thousands of other women. But then I said to myself, okay, it's time to get busy and try to fix this. And, and that's really what I've been doing for the last uh, three and a half years. And we've made immense progress. We have a lot more work to do, but we have made immense progress in a cultural shift, which usually can take decades. So, um, you know, I think, I think all those life lessons, I, I think back to being that little gutsy girl in Minnesota, and I don't really give a rip if people underestimated me because I'm just going to still continue to do what I'm trying to do to change the world. And and I think that that is, that, so that's the sort of, if I were to say to you, Gretchen, if somebody was to say your name at a party, you know, or in passing, you know, what what would you hope that they would think, you know, what would be the first thing that came to mind? She helped to make the world a better place for future generations of women. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I mean, I, I hope that that gets what's said, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's it's so fascinating because I, I you know, I um, have chosen a career that, that tends to be more male dominated. I'm in the technology industry. I've been in it 25 years, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I I did not have the experience you had, um, so I can't, you know, I can empathize because I think it's horrible for any human being. But I didn't experience that, so I can't, you know, r- relate in that way. But lots of people around me have, and and ultimately, you just sort of go, boy, I watch it define them and either crush them or give them sort of fuel to the fire to to do things like what you're doing, and so I, I think it. It is something that everybody grapples with when when something adver- you know adversity sh- shows itself that you you either have to you know kind of run right through it, which I think the very first time I ever heard you speak was at the Forbes Woman event in New York. I don't know now it's been two and a half, three years or ago. four years. Yeah, and what's funny the lineup was Gretchen Carlson, uh, Judge Judy, and Kim Kardashian. Just to put the <laughs> just, just to put the frame in place of sort of. You you almost don't. Okay, hold on. <laughs> well, and I'm actually friends with Judge Judy, so that brings it even closer too. But she's she's, she's awesome. She's awesome. Yeah, awesome. She's yeah. awesome. 
And Kim was great too. She's just like, look, you know, not bad for a girl with no talent and sort of held up the cover yep. of Fortune, right? I mean, you know, uh, Forbes, right? So at the end of the day, it, you know, it was a it was a great day and just lots of, you know, laughter and camaraderie and, you know, 300 women packed into that little warehouse. It was great. It was a good time. Um, but, I, you know, you you sort of, you you either face it or you run away from it. And so mm-hmm. what, what do you tell people who come up to you and sort of are at that crossroads themselves? Do I face it? Do I run away from it? Yeah. And, you know, thanks for asking, Tiffany, because I, I hear still from hundreds of women every single day. And uh, my good Midwestern sensibilities has me trying to get back to every single one of them because I care. I care about them and I want I want their stories to be told so that it's not just about Hollywood famous actresses and well-known journalists. This is pervasive across every socioeconomic background and every profession. And so um, I, you know, I, try, I try to help them, not only giving them words of wisdom, but actually lining, aligning them with lawyers and um, helping them strategize and um, helping them go to the media. I mean, that the biggest part of this story really is that the media didn't didn't give a rat's ass about covering sexual harassment stories pretty much until my story broke. They covered them here and there, but then they really started digging into the big stories. And that's how we got the Bill O'Reilly downfall. And that's how we got the Harvey Weinstein downfall and Les Moonves and Charlie Rose and Matt Lauer. And I could go on and on. The media finally became interested. And, and that is a huge reason of what has um, kept the movement alive, to be, to be honest with you. If I would have told you that there would have been a movie about sexual harassment three years ago, you would have laughed at me because nobody cared enough about it. So, you know, even though these projects have been done about my life where I can't participate in them at all, which is incredibly frustrating and why I'm working to try and stop that for future women, they are beneficial because people continue to talk about this issue when they go and see this movie. I can't tell you how many people have watched Bombshell while they've been in quarantine now. <laughs> and um, if they didn't see it in the theater, they I have gotten so many more messages over the last couple of weeks because I think people are just watching everything they can get their hands on. And, um, and you know, most people now, I, I understand that my advocacy is working because most people will write to me and say, I know you couldn't participate in the movie. And I know you can't tell me if it's even accurate, but I just wanted to let you know, thank you. And yeah, well, I watched it on a flight back from my very last flight. Yep. <laughs> back from Australia two weeks ago on a little screen, you know, it was a little screen because I was on the plane. Right. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that was so good. Like, <laughs> you know, and the, you know, the truth lies in the middle kind of a thing. I, it, mm-hmm. What was great about it was just the way I could relate to those situations of having it, uh, watching it happen around me. Like, you know, the conversation, the comments, the whatever, you know, yeah. uh, mine never got to a place where I felt I had to like use my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but ultimately, like, I just thought it was so well done because I think to your point, it's applicable to everybody, right? The receptionist, the you know, the executive, the, the news anchor, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, but you know, I I have a question for you. What, what have you found on the balance? Because I think me too has, if I'm correct, uh, pivoted almost predominantly to women, but what about me too for men? Oh yeah. No, I hear from men too. And I always, I'm very inclusive with men. And I think if you've heard me speak, you, you've heard me say that I actually believe that men are the final piece of the puzzle to help us solve it. You know, this, this should not just be about 
women talking to each other about this issue because we're not going to solve it that way. Same thing can be said for pay inequity and everything else. And they're all intertwined, by the way. So, you know, the, the, we need to invite men into this conversation because they are the ones who, unfortunately, you know, still run 95% of Fortune 500 companies. And so we need them. We need them to hire us more, pay us fairly, put us in the boardroom, understand sexual harassment. And, and also, the onus of fixing it should not just be on the shoulders of women. It's actually a man's problem predominantly. And so we should actually call it what it is, not a woman's issue, but a man's issue. And well, so we a need a human issue, right? It's a human, a human issue. issue. Yeah, it is. It is. But, but, you know, women get, we get pushed into these little holes, pigeonholes. And, and when you call something a women's issue, unfortunately, there's a negative connotation to it. And on top of that, the uh, men sometimes feel like they don't need to pay attention to it because they hear it's a women's issue. Not because they don't care, but because they just think it's, you know, not something they need to dwell on. So we need to invite them into the conversation. Uh, that's been, I think, getting to our boys young and and dra- drawing men into the conversation. Those two things are the biggest lessons that I've learned over the last three and a half years as far as trying to, to solve this issue, aside from all the advocacy work I'm doing. So, and then as far as men as victims, yes, I mean, my arms are open for men to reach out to me as well. And, and they have, it predominantly happens to women, but certainly men can, you know, also be, um, on the receiving end. And I caught myself cause I don't ever want to call people victims. Um, but you know, it, it can definitely happen to men, but it's predominantly happening to women. Well, Gretchen, I've so enjoyed our time. Um, Thanks. this was just a fantastic conversation. Uh, you know, thank you for all the work that you do. And, and hopefully some of these little nuggets you've given today has given somebody who's listening the courage to, um, you know, st- either stand up for themselves or stand up for somebody who they know who isn't able to stand up for themselves. So I appreciate your time today as well, uh, just on giving everybody a little bit more insight into all that defines you versus just that one part of your life. So thank you again. Thanks so much for having me, Tiffany. I really enjoyed it as well. And we will see each other sooner or later. We absolutely will. So how can people keep in touch with what you're doing? I hope, um, I hope it's in uh, Denmark. It's in I know. I hope, I hope yeah, we can I still do that. Um, they can definitely find out more at GretchenCarlson.com. And they can also find out about all of my advocacy work and join our mission at LiftOurVoices.org. We're going to we're going to solve this. And, you know, if we can stop silencing women through legislation and through getting companies on the right side of history, then we will change the the dynamics of the American workplace. And um, I know I'm doing it for my kids and I hope everyone else will join me in the fight. Well, I can't wait to have your new, you know, profile say you're the violin playing attorney. (laughs) All right. You'll be the first to know. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Gretchen. Thanks. What a compelling and interesting story. I didn't know where that conversation was going to take us, but I hope you enjoyed listening to Gretchen's story as much as I did. You know, there's so much out there in the news, especially with an Academy Award winning, winning film and bombshell talking about her life, although she could not comment on it. Uh, The HBO or Showtime special as well. I mean, there's been so much said about Uh, Gretchen and her career, but I think so much more defines her. And I hope you got to learn a little bit more about courage and taking chances and standing up for what you believe in and when 
things in your career may seem completely daunting, that there might be something on the other side that helps you find your actual calling. So I hope you enjoyed this What's Next podcast as much as I did. Please subscribe, leave some feedback, share with your friends. I look forward to having you join me again next time. Have a great day.